gather together, family and friends, uh, for that matter, even as a church today, Lord. We want to thank you, Lord God, how you have blessed us and how you have encouraged us and inspired us through song and through the reading of your word and also through prayer and also through giving. Uh, now, Father, we uh, come to a place uh, that we want to be directly encouraged or challenged by your word at the same time. Uh, so, Father, we ask you that you would have, our way, have your way with us, Lord God, and that you would indeed open our hearts and open our minds, Lord God, to anything and everything that you have in store for us. Uh, again, we love you, and we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Time magazine just came out with the 100 most influential people edition. I'm not sure if you've seen that. Some of the people included in that issue are Viola Davis and Chance, the rapper, Demi Lovato, Kim Jong-un, Samantha Bee, Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, uh, Pope Francis, and John Lewis. The editor has this to say about this issue, and I quote, Our annual list of the 100 most influential people explores the intersection of accomplishments and renown. Goes on to say, in divisive times, it's tempting to nestle uh, in a comfort zone surrounded by people who look like us. Think like us, pray like us, and also vote like us. But ask yourself this question. Do any of these 100 people influence you? Well, maybe, maybe in a way that uh, we can't phantom right now. But then as I read the article, I began to ask myself the question, who are or who were the people who have influenced me or impacted my life over a period of time? Hmm. One thing for sure, uh, some of those folks in this uh, Time Magazine edition they have influenced both your life and, and my life in ways that we are aware or may not be aware of. Uh, think about it again for a second. Viola Davis? Kim Jong-un? Or Pope Francis? Or Vladimir Putin? How could they possibly influence me plus a host of other people? Well, our lives and the spiritual decisions have also been influenced by certain people, whether we are aware of them or not. It is the spirit that is pervasive in the world which dominates our thinking with or without our consent. 
that thinking, how we consider spiritual things, that it never asked us first for permission to influence us. I mean, you know how it goes. Someone either influences you either on a positive time, way or in a negative way. In fact, this morning I was just thinking now that I was sharing a story uh, with my wife that when I was in high school that uh, I was also in the music program, as many of you know, uh, that there's one Saturday that we had a contest performance. And I was really, truly sick. I mean, I was sick this morning. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't keep myself together when I woke up. I mean, I was sick. So I said, well, I, I, I just can't make this thing. So my high school orchestra director, he called me on the telephone. He says, he says, Spencer, where are you? I said, look, I just said, look, man, I, I, said, I said, you know me, you know I will be there. I, I said, but today I am sick. He asked me, what's wrong with you? I said, I just can't, I can't keep it all together. If I, if I walk out of the house, I may have to run to the bathroom on the corner, so there's no way that I could make it there. He says, really now? I said, absolutely. And I knew that he would understand. And then he says, you better get here. But see, you, you don't understand. It's, it, it's not like I could have gotten up and hopped in a car to go where I went to school. I had to get on public transportation take two buses, wait on two buses to go all the way there. So I did what I needed to do, and I made all the pit stops that I needed to make, right? And I make it there, and he just looked at me. He said, you, you better be glad that you're here, because I was going to fail you if you... I said, but I'm, I, I'm sick. He said, it doesn't matter to me. So I ended up going down there. It was a music contest. Went to a music contest, and here we are on stage, and we, we performed three numbers Right? We performed the first number. I looked, at, I looked at my orchestra and my music teacher. I said, man, I got, I got to go. He says, go ahead. So while the contest is going on, I would go and you know, do what I needed to do. Then I would come back. We would play the second number. So we played the second number. We're done with the second number. I said, you know, I can't keep it together. He says, go ahead. So in the meantime, he's stalling the judges. I went, you know, did what I needed to do. I would come back. Right? And then the whole thing was over. You know, the, the organization did very well in that contest. And then after, he just laughed at me. He said, why, didn't you, why are you laughing? He said, ha, 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 you couldn't keep it together, huh? You, you sounded good. I said, man, but it's killing me. It's killing me. But what that did and how that influenced me was this way. That I, I, I learned that there is something inside of us, if you really want something bad enough that you can pull it out of yourself to get yourself to that next level. But you see, at that time, as a young kid, I didn't know. I didn't know that you could literally, that you could push your mind and even your body to this place that, uh, that you can do extremely well. So I didn't realize that this man was influencing me. Same thing happens on the spiritual level. There are, uh, there are people, men and women and children and spirits all around you that are influencing you. So today we're going to take a look at four individuals. Four individuals who have, have influenced 
your life in one way or another. But you're going to say that, or you may say that, that these folks have not influenced me, but I tell you, yes, they have. Whether you are aware or not, uh, that spirit which is on this earth, it dominates our thinking and our decisions. And if you have a Bible in front of you, please turn with me to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. The first individual that influences us, I call him Saul, the religious perfectionist. Saul, the religious perfectionist. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Three. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this Saul, this religious perfectionist, uh, that he rounded up believers in Jesus Christ and he persecuted him, and he tried to commit as many as possible to prison. Saul, he influenced others. Believe it or not, listen to this. Saul, he influenced others through his hunger for God. Huh. Saul influenced others through his hunger for God. Now, you might be saying that doesn't make sense, right? Uh, on the one hand, you're saying that he has a hunger for God, but on the other hand, you're saying that he would take Christians and have them beaten and have them killed and have them imprisoned? Yes, I'm saying both of those things. He had a hunger for God and he was persecuting Christians. But now you may be thinking concerning how this Saul, how he influenced people, that isn't that what you do, right? Or other people who attempt uh, to lead folks down some type of religious corridor, isn't that what they do? Well, in one regard, absolutely right. You're, you're absolutely correct. But in another sense, there are some things that we may be missing. So uh, we're going to think through this together for a moment. And we're going to look more closely at this, uh, we call him Saul of Tarsus, because that's where he was from. Saul was a man who was a religious zealot. He had a passion from God. I know you've seen people who've had some type of passion from God uh, standing on street corners and, and opening up. Uh, religious organizations are all over the place, right? They had and, and do have passion for some type of God. Uh, but he had uh, this zealousness and pursued God uh, through the study of the Old Testament, not 
the complete Bible, but uh, the Old Testament, more specifically what we call the law. Uh, uh, Paul, uh, uh, Saul, he uh, was particular about making sure that you dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's. He wanted to make sure that you followed the rules. He himself, he followed all the rules. He devoted his life to that pursuit and wouldn't allow anything to interfere with what he thought was right. So Paul says, this is what the Word says. You better follow what the Word says. If you don't follow what the Word says, then I'm going to kill you. Hmm. How can someone be so uh, dispassionate for other folks saying that they love God and all of his rules so much? This Saul, he prided himself in being what we call a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, he was a bad mama jama. Uh, he uh, was the best of the best concerning religious law. In other words, almost no one could say they knew more than this Saul about God. But let's face it, this is really not unlike what and how most of us pursue our lives and our careers, right? If, you, if you're honest, uh, you want to be the best. You want to be the best at what you're doing because you know that the spoils go to the victor. I don't know anybody, well, well not many people, I'll put it to you that way, right? I don't know anyone that's absolutely the worst at what they do that end up making it to the top. Well, we know some people, amen? Now, I didn't say anything. You all laughing, so whatever you have in your mind, you know what I'm talking about. Right? So we know that the spoils go to the victor, but you can't be the victor unless you are first the best. If you are a student in school and you want to get a scholarship, you know, let's say uh, weaving baskets, right? There is a, uh, a $100,000 scholarship weaving baskets. You know that if there are 500 people who are weaving baskets, you know in order to get that scholarship, you need to be the best. You can't be the worst unless you know somebody, right? If you know somebody, then maybe, right? But this is true whether you are the best lawyer like the Saul we're talking about, or whether you're the best teacher, police officer, musician, student, admin, salesperson, manager, or even customer service rep. If you want to move up, you got to be the best, and you can't be half-stepping. And it's important for you to be the best. Why? Because if you're the best, you know that you can get promoted, and you oftentimes you know what happens, right? When you get promoted, you get more money, right? I know some of you, uh, if your boss told you, I'm going to promote you, but I ain't going to give you no more money, you said, well, don't promote, don't promote me. Leave me where I am. Right? Uh, so you know that once you are promoted, that means uh, the money comes along with you. Therefore, you want to be your best at all that you do. 
And all of us have dreams. And all of us have desires. So don't sit there and, and act like it's not true because you know it is. So Saul, the Saul that I'm speaking of, he was no different. He was the creme de la creme. He was at the top of his game, religiously speaking, that is. So because he knew all things God, he could take a firm stand and say, if you don't believe the way that I believe, then I will be your worst nightmare. This Saul, he was, he, he was bad, right? How many of you love Jesus that much? You love Jesus so much that when people see you, they're like, you know what? Here comes my worst nightmare. Let me get from around. I don't even want to talk to them, right? Saul was, knew his stuff so, so good that, uh, that folks didn't want to see him coming. Well, mainly because uh, that they, when they would see him coming, they thought that he would try to kill him. Saul, he knew that God's way was best, at least in regards to the Old Testament. And didn't want to hear anything from anyone to the contrary, especially those Jesus freaks. You don't want to hear nothing about all those holy rollers. No, 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 no. See, many knew how Saul was. And you were either on his side or against his side. And there was no middle ground. Let's look at those who thought favorably of his actions. Some men at one point when they stoned this guy named Stephen, right? Stephen was, he was a lover of Jesus Christ, right? And he stood there before all the high priests and, and all the Pharisees and he began to tell them about Jesus Christ. Stephen was bold for Jesus Christ. He stood up there and saw them said, okay, kill him. He said, what are you talking about? Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Then they cast him, that is Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. In other words, they stoned him until he was dead. And the witnesses laid down their garments. These are all the folks that, that stoned Stephen. They laid down their garments or their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Why in the world would you take your robe and lay it down uh, at the foot of, of, of this young man named Saul? Well, Saul, he himself, he explains it to us. Did you know that? Saul, he explains it to us, okay? Now you've got to do a little bit more searching. Let's go to Acts chapter 22, verse 19. Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 19. Now, this is, uh, let you know who's speaking here. This is Saul. Right? Saul's name was changed to Paul. So if you're reading, you say, I don't see any Saul here. Well, Saul's name, God changed Saul's name to Paul. And right here, verse 19, and it says, And I said, this is, this is Paul, Saul, I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. Verse 20. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. 
They put all of his garments there because this Saul, he was watching over those clothes. And he was saying, yes, he was cheering them on. Yes, this is the right thing to do. Uh, that, you see, this Saul, he was the man. Uh, Saul said, yes, yes, do it. You see, sometimes, you know, uh, there are certain folks that do the dirty work, but one folk that give the order. Right? There are certain folks that do the dirty work and other folks give the order. For instance, right? If you say that, well, we'll take an example that I'm thinking of right now. If you take, uh, let's say that there are a few guys on, on death row. And then you say that, you know, we got some medicine that's going to expire in two weeks. Somebody makes a decision, you know what? Before that medicine expires, let's go ahead, let's kill them all within a week. Right? You see, this person that makes a decision that, that gives uh, the, the, the others who have less authority, uh, give them the okay to do the work. And I believe here it was Saul that he had the authority to say that, you know what, go ahead and get this work done. Go ahead and you kill this Stephen and all of, of the Christians who are talking about there's a such thing as Jesus Christ. Well, let's just sit down and talk about this, Jesus. Let's think it together. Uh, let's think about it together. Uh, Saul said, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. We're just going to kill you. How many of you would stand your Jesus ground if folks would threaten you with your life for talking about Jesus? So here's Saul. He gave his approval by not intervening and watching over the robes of those who were perpetrating this violence. And in the midst of this, Saul, he firmly believed he was doing God's work. Isn't it something those who go and kill other folks in the name of God, or whatever they call their God, there's something wrong there, and you know it is. You can sense it in your heart. So let's now look at some who had that negative view of Saul. Now we're going to go back to Acts chapter 9. And I know that if I have you flipping back and forth, it's good for you. It's good for you. Acts chapter 9, verse 13. Listen how Ananias, for that matter, others thought of this Saul. And this Ananias, he was in prayer and he was talking to God. And this is what it says. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. Talking about this man, Saul. God told Ananias to go and pray for this man, Saul. And Ananias said, Lord... Uh, look, I have heard from many folks about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Huh. See, the believers, the Christians, wanted nothing to do with him because he was nothing but trouble. Saul, he influenced plenty of people in both a positive and a negative way. Saul thought his conscience was clear. Isn't that something? He, he thought that his conscience was clear and accurate when it was, after all, it was terribly faulty. Ariri says this, and I quote, Your conscience may be a good guide, or it may not be, even though it may seem to guide you correctly. 
So your conscience, what you consider to be right or wrong, you may think that you're doing the right and the good thing while all along you're doing the wrong things. Somehow, you're doing what is wrong in good conscience because you have been hoodwinked to thinking that what you're doing is actually good. So, Saul, now Paul, he had a good conscience doing all the wrong things because the information he had was incorrect and he would bring it to the wrong conclusions, but yet within himself he thought he was doing the right things. So Saul's conscience was not open to the reality of Jesus Christ being the very fulfillment of the things that he was supposed to believe. His conscience, he was able uh, to influence men and women to be just as he was. So we must consider whether or not we are influenced by someone who has a good conscience, uh, but a conscience led by misinformation. So we must ask ourselves whether the religious perfectionist spirit has been influencing our decision to believe in Jesus Christ or not. Isn't that interesting? The spirit of Saul may be influencing you and I, and we may not even know that it's happening. Well, that was Saul. Let's look at this next person. This is found in John chapter 4. And this is, this is about the woman who knew hypocrisy. The woman who knew hypocrisy. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And here it is, this last part. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You see, this woman had very high hypocrisy discernment. In this case, uh, we don't know her name, but we do know a few things about her. We know that she was a Sumerian, which means that she was part Jewish and part something else. Uh, part Jewish, part Gentile. Jew and non-Jew. So because of this biological makeup, uh, a full, if you were a full Jew, uh, that uh, you didn't want anything to do with her or him or them. If you were a full Jew, a proud Jew, and you came across a Samaritan who was uh, 50% Jew and 50% something else, you say, uh-uh, don't want anything to do with the goy, nothing, right? Now, it's not that initially you have to understand this, that the Jews were prejudiced against them. You see, understand this. This is what we find in the law, in the Torah, within the first five books of the Old Testament. God tells them you can't be mixing with those Canaanites when you go into the land of promise. Stay away from them, else they're going to draw you away from me. This is what it was about. 
So they weren't necessarily prejudiced per se, but they were trying to follow what they knew of the law, but then they took it to the nth degree. And you can find this out in the Old Testament if you care to take a look sometime. So not only was she Sumerian, 50% Jew, 50% something else, she was also alone, if you look here in the text, she was alone at the well in the middle of the day, which didn't bode well for her reputation. And then look at John chapter 4, verse 18. So not only was she a Samaritan, like strike one, not only number, number two was she at the well at noontime, so to speak, but John chapter 4, verse 18, this woman had had five husbands. Five. Well, maybe that's why she was at the well all by her lonesome, right? But uh, she didn't have five husbands at the same time, right? Uh, she kind of like, you know, she would have one and get rid of him or whatever went on, right? But also finally, this woman, she knew that her forefathers had worshipped at a certain mountain in Samaria for which she had staked all of her religious hopes. This woman at the well, she had experience. You see, you can't amass all this background and not have experience. You have experience. Now, I'm not sure if we all want to have the same type of experience that this woman had, but she had it nevertheless. Well, what does this mean? Well, what, what are you talking about that she had experience? What this means is that she know people. This woman, she knew folks. She could tell uh, from a mile away uh, when her uh, hypocrisy meter would begin to go ding, 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 ding. Here comes another one of those hypocrites. Some of you may not call it a hypocrisy meter. You may call it something else, right? She knew folks and she knew how they operated. She could tell a phony from a mile away. And when she would see a Jew in Samaria, she knew folks, she knew the Jews, and she knew here comes another one of those hypocrites. Come on, like many of us, you know when, when a phony is coming, right? And then this Jewish man had nerve enough to come and ask her for a drink of water. But why was there such disdain there? Why, did, why was her hypocrisy meter uh, set on high? Because we know that uh, the, the text tells us that the Jews had no dealings with Samaria, right? Okay, what do you mean? It would be like this, right? And some of you may get this, some of you may not. But nevertheless, let's say that you live uh, at the Dan Ryan Expressway on 95th Street. And let's say that you had to take uh, 294, the tollway 294, and you knew the only way to get to 294 was go up straight 95th Street, and boom, you were there. But for some strange reason, you have it in your mind that if I go straight up 95th Street, I know that I'll go up 95th Street, I'll be in Chicago, and then I'll pass through uh, Evergreen Park, and then I'll pass through Oak Lawn, and then I'll pass through uh, Chicago Ridge, and then I'll be on the expressway. But you know what? When I, get to, when I get to Oak Lawn, I'm going around Oak Lawn. Right? 
because, you know what, I just, you know, uh, it's, it's just tr I don't like the people in Oak Lawn, so therefore, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go up 95th Street, and then once I get to Western, uh, in order to avoid Oak Lawn, I'm going to go north to 79th Street. And then I'm going to 79th Street, and I'm going to go far west, and, I, and I'm going to pass it. I'm going to go all the way as far as I, I can go. I don't know, wherever it's out on 79th Street West. Then I'm going to come back around to 95th Street. Then I'm going to get on the expressway and then go where I need to go. You see, the Jews, when they needed to go north, that one of the things they needed to do was go through Samaria. That's the quickest way of doing it, especially when you're walking in sandals. But when they came to Samaria, that they decided that, you know what, I ain't going through Samaria because those half-breeds are there. Therefore, I'm going to go around, even if it takes me three extra days, I'm going to go around because I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to smell them. I don't want to, nothing. So here this woman is at this well. And this Jewish man comes to her. And say, give me a drink of water. <laughs> so this woman with her hypocrisy meter on, she says, you know what? Y'all don't even want to walk through my neighborhood. Don't even want to come through. And then as soon as you come, you got the nerve enough to come and ask me for some water. You got nerve enough to ask me for some sweet tea from my house. You got nerve enough to ask you to make a sandwich in my house. You have nerve enough to do that. She knew hypocrisy. She knew people. And she could discern a phony a mile away. But guess what? She didn't know Jesus. She knew all of that, but she didn't know Jesus. Knowing all we know about people is important because it keeps us safe. Amen? Right? You know, sometimes you got to know things because you don't want to get hurt when you walk in these streets. But when it comes to the matters of, of the spirit, then our hypocrisy meter can only take us so, so far. I know those Christians. All those Christians are like this. All those Republicans or Democrats or Independent Crats or whatever it may be, they are all like this. All Californians are like this. All New Yorkers, all Texans are like this, right? We may say this. Your hypocrisy meter can only take you so far. It places us into a position of thinking of all that certain people, type of people, are the same way. All politicians are the same. All lawyers are the same. Because we've heard the stories and we've had experience with one or two of them. You dismiss them because all people like that are phonies. But what do you do about Jesus? You see, we talk about Saul, who was the religious perfectionist, but this woman who had a very keen and sensitive hypocrisy meter. She thought she knew Jesus. She thought she knew him. The question for you is, what do you do with Jesus who comes along and asks you to engage with him? Do you allow your faulty hypocrisy meter to deny him a hearing in your heart? Because you think that all Christians are the same because you had interacting with just one? So that was the woman who knew hypocrisy. Here's the next one, number three. Cornelius, the government employee. Cornelius, 
the government employee. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And I'm reading Acts 10, 1 through 4. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. What would it be like to be on the government payroll for time spent in the military here for Cornelius? He was a man who had a special honor as being a part of the Italian cohort. He was in charge, right? He was in charge of 100 soldiers, right? And this Italian cohort uh, consists of about 600 soldiers. See, understand these centurions, that they didn't have special privileges, but what they had to do is they had to come up through the rank and file. So Cornelius, he had to work his way through. Didn't anyone give, nobody gave him nothing. But during this time, if you wanted stable occupation, then being on the government payroll as a soldier was your best chance. Right? This is not unlike many men and women today who enlist in the military or who may have some other government job. There's nothing wrong with it, but when you think about stability, you know, that's oftentimes where the stability comes from. And that's okay. So if you're going to be a soldier with your life being on the line, at any time, and then you probably need something to help you make it through. For Cornelius, it was God. Whatever this God meant to him, at least he knew of a God. Uh, it has been said, right, and you've heard this before, that uh, there are no atheists in foxholes. In other words, when the bullets are flying over your head, or in the case of Cornelius, when the spears are flying, or the rocks, or whatever they're fighting with, then you know you are always within an inch away from your life. Any small thing can go wrong. Just a move in the wrong direction can get you killed. When this is you, you reach out to the nearest God or the closest thing that bears you peace in the midst of trouble. What do you do? His life was on the line. He prayed to God, not really knowing God. But he prayed, and he was devout in his prayer. He feared God. He was generous, and he prayed continuously. But this Cornelius, he also had influence over his soldiers and over his household. I don't know, maybe they heard him praying, but people listened to him. But Cornelius, as being different, saw he didn't allow a prejudice to reject God speaking to him as well as others. Will you? Will you allow a prejudice to cause you to reject God, Jesus Christ? So when he knew a man would be sent to him with a special message, Cornelius used his influence to summons others. Acts chapter 10, verse 24. Acts 10, 24. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So, his family and friends, he called them together. Imagine that. 
Not only did uh, Cornelius call them together, but they all listened and came to hear what was going to be spoken. He was just an ordinary guy. He was nobody special. You know, it's like all of us, right? You know, we're just ordinary people. There's nothing special about us in the end. Yes, some um, you, you may have uh, an opportunity to do this, that, and the other, but at the end of the day, all of us are the same. All of us will be in the ground the same unless Jesus comes back first. But there's a difference. What happens after the ground? How many times have family and friends invited you to their home only to find out that it was a pyramid scheme? Have you been there? Have you been there with, uh, and I'm not trying to malign any company or anything like that, but you, you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't have to go into details about people trying to sell you silver, people trying to sell you dishes, trying to sell you water purification systems, you know, on and on and on. You know, I, I have figured out in all of my 26 years of being on this earth that there's a lot of schemes, there's a lot of schemes that's being perpetrated. But many times in many of these schemes, if you would have known what were they going to be talking about, you probably would have said, no, I pass. I pass. And these individuals, they probably didn't know what was going on, but they went ahead. Why? Because Cornelius had influence over them. Are you like Cornelius? Or do you squander your chance for influence? Then someone may need to influence your life. Will you listen? Finally. Finally, you probably said finally. It's the last person. Lydia, the fabric lady. Lydia, the fabric lady. Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. This is the uh, apostle speaking. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, look at this, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed on, her, on us. In other words, she kept nagging us and nagging us until we finally said, okay, we'll go to your house, Lydia. Interesting about Lydia. Lydia was self-employed. Lydia, she had a common name. In fact, the town where she was, Thyatira, was located in an area that's called Lydia. So it's like you know, being in Chicago. You know, Chicago, whatever town you're from, if you live in Cook County, uh, Chicago is in Cook County. Uh, so Lydia was like a county or this giant region, and Thyatira was in Lydia. So Lydia's name was named after that region. And in Thyatira... Purple dye was the big thing, right? Just like today, maybe tattoos are cool. I'm not sure. Is, is, is blonde hair? I don't see many, much blonde hair. Is blonde hair still in? I don't know, right? Or 
purple hair or any other color hair we know, you know. Colors go in and out, right? But stay away from green. Amen? Amen. So purple dye was a big thing for the region. So it made sense that Lydia, that she would sell items uh, dyed with the color purple. So she opened her own business to sell purple goods. I don't know, maybe the name of her store was called the color purple. I don't know. So something interesting happened to Lydia while she was minding her own business. She heard this Paul uh, speak about Jesus Christ, but her heart had already been open to what God was saying and, and wanted to tell her. So she heard and she heard clearly. See, if you're truly open to the voice of God, then you will hear certain things from him which may run contrary to what you have always thought. The true God, as we saw here with Lydia, Ultimately, even as we saw with Saul, and even as we saw with Cornelius, or even as we saw with the woman at the well, if your ears are really open to what God is saying, you will hear his message about Jesus Christ, you see. But what did she hear? She heard much of what I've heard, much of what Christians have heard uh, for centuries upon centuries that we have been separated from God because of sin. And God wants to rescue us from, from an eternity without him. Repent and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you will be saved. This message was so potent that Lydia, she gathered everyone who would listen to come and hear this word. So much like the other folks that we heard, she influenced plenty of people. She knew that there was something important in that message. and She encouraged people to come and hear. So the question that we need to be aware of this morning, now this afternoon, is simply this. What spirit is influencing us? Do we have the spirit of the religious perfectionist? The woman that knew hypocrisy, she knows everything. Her hypocrisy meter was going ding, ding, ding. It was on high. Or are we like Cornelius, the government employee? was just praying, uh, not sure, not sure about God, didn't know anything, uh, but eventually someone prayed for him and introduced him to Jesus Christ, and he came to Christ? Or are we like Lydia? She's just trying to make it from day to day. And she heard this message about Jesus Christ and said, yes, this is me. And then she went and gathered all her families and friends and said, you have got to hear this message today. What spirit is influencing you? If you don't know Christ, will you walk out of here again? And by walking out of here again, I mean walking away from the reality of Christ. Or will you have a sensitive heart knowing that, you know what? I believe that God is speaking to me. This is something that you now that you must wrestle with right now. Because 
Our tomorrows are not promised, not mine, not yours. I could be gone this evening. So could you. I'm not threatening you with death or anything like that. I'm just saying that for any of us, just like my cousin that we prayed for last week, Sunday night he was gone. But you see, for us, this could be the last chance. But I don't want to threaten you that. I, I, I want to present the love of God through Christ Jesus for you. 